Last week, uh, Rachel Brionis asked me a really good question. After we had spent time studying Moshe and leadership and conflict resolution and anger and all that stuff for four weeks, Rachel came up and said, Yeshua got angry. Yeshua got very angry, as a matter of fact, like turning tables over and yelling at people and doing things like that. I mean, what, what, what do we do with that? And that is true. He did get angry at times, very vocal, very zealous, we might say, moments of external zeal. And the question that Rachel asked last week echoes even louder this week as we consider our Torah portion, which is called Pinchas. Now, what Pinchas is famous for happened last week at the end of the Torah portion when Pinchas made an Israelite and a Midianite shish kebab. You remember it? It's a very, very, very graphic description of what Pinchas actually did. They were engaged in a very inappropriate act, and he jabbed a spear through the area of both of them that they were engaging in the inappropriate act. Is that enough code word to tell you? Without being clear, it was very... And there is an incredible uh, commentary that suggests that they had gone into the tabernacle to do that, which is why such zeal was required on behalf of Pinchas. But that's not the issue. The issue is that doesn't exactly seem like due process to me. When we're talking about anger and resolving issues without massive conflict and, and, and violence, I mean, what do we do with Pinchas? The Lord spoke after he had done this and said these strange words. Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was zealous with my zealousness among them so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, I say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. Now, that's a strange thing to give someone who just jabbed a javelin through two human beings, isn't it? Seems very, very angry. Vigilante shish kebabing receives God's favor, peace, and covenant of priesthood. This is a difficulty. As a matter of fact, when you think about that action versus hitting a rock twice, they're not exactly like on the same level here. And Pinchas gets a reward and Moses gets a punishment. <clears throat> Zeal, defined as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. Zeal, great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest about zeal. I, I'm going to zealously admit that I'm confused about this zeal. I'm confused about the zeal that we find in the Bible. I'm especially confused about the zeal that we find among God's people through the ages. Killing Jews in the name of Jesus, the Salem witch trials, guilt, condemnation, torture, abuse in the name of God, and zealousness for his name, apparently. When is zeal good? When does zeal just actually mean I'm just angry and hateful? Well, Moses breaking tablets, that was very zealous, right? That was a, a, an apparently angry move, but he smashed the tablets. That was zealous. That was good. 
Yeshua getting into it with the Pharisees, telling them that their father is Satan, turning over tables, getting angry. That sounds angry, but it's not. It's actually zeal. We read it in the Torah portion this morning. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me when Yeshua turned over the tables. So they thought, this is a very good thing. There is, though, in some of all three of those situations, there's a very specific thing. Pinchas stabbing two people, Yeshua turning over tables, Moses breaking the tablets. Bikano et keneti is what it says in the Hebrew. Bikano et keneti. He was jealous or zealous with my jealousy among them. It's a key word within the text for describing Pinchas. He was jealous with my jealousy among them. But that actually raises another more important question. If that is God's zealousness, should we assume then that God's zeal looks a lot like anger and doing really mean things to people or violent acts? Is that what it means to be zealous for God? And what actually are the parameters for measuring our zeal for God. Should we be walking around with our spiritual spear looking for people to give it to theologically or whatever? Whatever thing it is that they, that they might disagree or these, these sinners that are out there in this terrible world right now, should we be theologically spearing? Is that zeal? I mean, because... You know, these people were doing something really bad. There's a lot of people out there doing really bad things, probably us on many days. How do we model our zeal for God in this world? Should it always be demonstrated through this, this radical behavior? Is there some other example that we should be seeking, something we can learn from the Bible? Because apparently, since Pinchas did this, Moses did that, they were rewarded. Apparently, zeal is a very good thing in, in some way. And something that we should desire. And if, if, if you see the world around us right now, there's a lot of zeal out there. It doesn't look very good by my, by my assessment of it. The zealousness that surrounds us doesn't look very good. But how do we as followers of God demonstrate proper zeal in an overzealous world. In other words, our message title is, Hey, what's the zeal here? I, I was hoping for more, but, you know. <laughs> I, I thought it was good, so did Darren. Darren sent me a smiley face when I sent him that title. Well, there is an answer. There is an answer, and it's in a place that you might, might not have considered. The sages of Israel certainly did. The answer is provided by a still small voice and what we can learn from another zealot, a very, very famous zealot. As a matter of fact, the only other in the Tanakh that is known as a zealot. And it is usually this week's Haftorah, but because we're leading up to Tisha B'Av, it's not. There's a different Jeremiah Torah portion this week, the Haftorah portion. But this, this Haftorah about this zealot goes along with Pinchas the zealot. It's from 1 Kings 18. And there's a very similar situation that arises here with what happened with Pinchas. Israel has once again descended into idolatry. One man in his zeal stands up to the idolaters, is triumphant. Who is the man? 
Eliyahu. Elijah. Eliyahu Hanavi. Elijah the prophet. Prophets of Baal and actually Asherah. We don't hear about the prophets of Asherah. Only the Baals, Baal guys really made the, made the story. But there were 250 of them or 400 or whatever there were. I forgot. 450. Elijah, the prophets, Jezebel. There's a journey to Mount Sinai and a still small voice. And in these days of zeal surrounding us and seemingly consuming us, is zeal good or bad? That's my question. Well, clearly it's good. And even when it is extremely demonstrated at times, it is still good. But how and why it is manifested is an incredibly part of the story. Elijah has certainly always been one of my favorite biblical characters. He still is. He's incredible. He stopped the rain. He raised the dead. He called down fire. He, he exited the world in a blaze of glory, the whirlwind, fire, chariot. He's the forerunner to Messiah. And obviously, Hashem likes Elijah a lot, right? But to carry on a theme that we've been looking at over the last several weeks with the humanity of biblical characters, Elijah is indeed human. And in all of his greatness, he is still capable of mistakes. And in one of my favorite stories in the Bible, you get to see it. And God will answer some of the questions that I just posed to you. I want you to consider this story and its ending. Elijah stops, he stops the rain. He creates this drought. He challenges the prophets in this massive act of zeal. And let's face it, Elijah, I like Elijah. He's like Paul, even Yeshua sometimes has a little sarcasm. When Elijah's doing his zealous demonstration with the prophets of Baal, he's a little sarcastic, right? Maybe you can't show up because your God's on the toilet. I like that one. It's really good. It's a victory. But then this lady with a Jezebel spirit shows up. I hate it when people say that about women. Watch out for her. She got her Jezebel spirit. Well, this lady really did have a Jezebel spirit. It was Jezebel. So she really had one. And she was very, very angry. And she says, I'm going to do my own zealous act for you, Elijah. I'm going to slaughter you just like you killed all those prophets. And so she, you know, and, and Elijah's freaked, actually. He runs for his life, right? He realizes that his effort, to some degree, has been in vain because he's going to die. He's being pursued. He's, he's, she's after him, and it doesn't seem like Israel got the message. So he says some very familiar words that a zealous prophet just like him before said. Remember when Moses said, kill me? That's what Elijah said, too. There's a lot of similarities between Moses and Elijah. But he's sort of at the end of his rope here. I've failed. God says, no, Elijah just, get, Elijah, get yourself something to eat. Settle down, relax. Get you a meal there. Put some hot food inside. How was that, Steve? Oh, Steve's asleep. Doesn't matter. <clears throat> he says, eat. Forty days and nights to Horeb, he goes. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, he goes. Okay? And he has an amazing meeting there. He shows up to the meeting and God asks him a question. He says, Ma lechapo Eliyahu? Strange question for God to ask Elijah as if he needed or didn't know. Ma lechapo Eliyahu? 
What are you doing here? Why are you here, Elijah? He asked the question because he wanted Elijah to think about why he was there. And more than that, he wanted Elijah to verbalize why he was there. God doesn't need an answer. And what was Elijah's answer? Elijah's answer was not very optimistic. Elijah's answer was, everything's ruined, to quote a favorite song of mine. It's over, man. Everything's ruined. The world has fallen apart. I've failed. He says, I've been, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Now, I want you to catch that. God identified Pinchas as having been zealous with his zealous, zealousness. Elijah, when asked the question, God, I've been very zealous for you. For the Lord God of armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, am I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. You ready for the first lesson? Acts of zeal in our lives are sometimes often driven by falsely created scenarios, which allows me another opportunity to use one of my favorite quotes of all time from Michel de Montaigne, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. For Elijah, first off, some of what he said is true, but a lot of it's not. He's not the only one. Obviously, there are 7,000 others. When dealing with crises and situations, conversations, difficulty in our world and our personal lives, you, gotta, you, gotta, you need to determine your motivation for where you're coming from into this and what's, what's driving you to act. You need to consider that. And whether a zealous action is actually needed because making decisions to take action from a, a place of perceived desperation is a very bad move. And how many have ever learned that lesson before? <laughs> I have. Is this an emergency situation requiring this level of, I got to do something absolutely crazy drastic like driving a spear through these two people. Is this the time for that? You don't do that when you're freaked out and mentally unstable. <laughs> and sorry, you get that way. So do I. We all do. Is this an act for the good of God? Pinchas, God has determined that he acted with God's zeal. Okay, fine. But should we back up before we take anything forward, before we go barging in with our spears? Is it as bad as it seems? Often it's not. Now, spears, broken tablets, turned over tables are needed sometimes. But as we'll see here, with God and with you, they should be the exception. This is... Rhetorical, almost. Consider, though, the story that everyone loves, the still small voice. Right? I love this story. I love it. God has asked Elijah the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he answers it for him. God answers back when Elijah gives his answer. God shows up to teach him something. The Lord passed by. A great and strong wind that rent the mountains and broke the rocks, but he wasn't there. 
and an earthquake, and he wasn't there, and a fire, and he wasn't there. And then what happened? The still, small voice, and Elijah heard it. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, for most of my life, and it's a true interpretation, but it's the thing that all of us do, that becomes about us and how we need to be really in touch and in tune with God because sometimes he's not moving through the big things. Sometimes he just wants us to sit down, tune in, and hear that little precious voice that he's going to whisper in our ear. That's great. It's wonderful. I think it's true on some level. But you know what the sages teach us about that in Judaism? It's not exactly about God and you. It's about you and other people. And I'll tell you how that works through Elijah. It's the communication about how we manage our zeal. Particularly, and this is very important today in, these, in this world, with those who don't agree with us with those who need correction, with those who are, uh, need rebuke, with those who we perceive have a need for a zealous response, it is particularly relevant when you watch TV, watch us get on social media, just pay attention to the world, both sides, zealous for our side, but how are we communicating? And so this is the demonstration God gives to Elijah. Elijah, listen, Elijah, you have acted with profound zeal, and I have answered it. I have licked up the water to make your zealousness and your challenge to these prophets. I've done everything you've asked. You have acted with great zeal. I can act bigger than you. I have more zeal than you. I can act in greater power than you. I can, I can do things that you could never duplicate or imagine. Elijah, I can break the rocks with the wind. Elijah, I can cause earthquakes. I can get things done. I am Elkanah. I am the zealous God. But I am also, and more frequently, found in the still, small voice. And so, Elijah, so must you be. So must you be. Consider your motivation and your approach. And here is an eloquently and beautifully written, quote, statement from Rabbi Hertz. Evil cannot most successfully be overcome by storm and fire. Rather, it is the Spirit of God manifested and the purpose of God furthered in that which is represented by the still, small voice. The gentle operation of the spiritual forces, the calmness and patience of quiet and indomitable faith, and the persistent work which is the fruit of that patience and faith. All of God's ways that he shows up represent a massively zealous, powerful response. And the effective one, the one that Elijah actually found God within, was the still, small voice. No spear, no breaking of rocks, no drama. No drama. And he asks him the same question after the still, small voice rolls through. 
Did you get it? Why are you here? Do you get the message, Elijah? There is a place for power and for zealous response, but it is even for me, Elkanah, the exception most of the time. Rather, God says, not says, but this is what we learn. Rather, realize that Elijah has come out. He's in the cleft of the rock at Mount Sinai. Remember who was at the, in the cleft of the rock at Mount Sinai? Remember what happened there? God, God, full of compassion, kindness, mercy, slow to anger. That's what God is saying in the still small voice. The very same thing he said to Moses in forgiveness at the top of Sinai. He's saying to Elijah, Elijah, be like me in the sense of being slow to anger, compassionate, kind. Operate within the still small voice. Do you get it, Elijah? Why are you here? Because I want you to learn this going forward. And you know what Elijah says? The exact same thing he said the first time. It's over, God. It's hopeless. There, there's, there's nothing. And you know what God says to Elijah? Go and find Elisha. Anoint your successor. You're done. Which is powerful. Very powerful. One of my favorite biblical heroes... I have been zealous for you, God. Give me more. Let me be more zealous. Pass it on. Pass it on. Your zealous anger for the sins of Israel, righteous though it may be, have overtaken and clouded your ability to be zealous in a holy way for what matters for my sake. Zeal. Great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. You must know what your cause is. You must know what your objective is before you demonstrate acts of incredible zeal. We are surrounded, as I've made the point multiple times, by a lot of anger. And let me tell you something. Zealous acts like going in and killing a doctor who performs abortion, it's not helpful. Blowing up a pregnancy crisis center who saves abortions, it's not helpful. I, I see, like, it's amazing what you can learn from bumper stickers. Do you want to just ever want to follow somebody in their bumper sticker, their car? You can't now because you'll get shot and killed. Do you know how many people, I, I read three articles this week where someone had some type of road rage thing and they got out and somebody shot him to death. Don't do anything stupid in your car. I'm telling you, don't challenge anyone. Don't do anything. People will kill you today. But I saw a bumper sticker that said, I hope you're... Wait, what did, what did it say? I hope the fetus you save turns out to be gay. Okay, fine. That is not helpful. And, and, and nothing the other way is, is helpful. 
Because it is misdirected zeal. It is not helpful. It is not for the objective of being what we want to be, which is peacemakers, preparers for the kingdom. It's not helpful. And there's a lot of zeal among religious people that is very misdirected. And there's a lot of zeal against very unreligious people who is very misdirected. And what in the world can we do about it? Well, we can operate within the still, small voice, which no matter what, your first go-to is not, Dah! It is a consideration of compassion, a consideration of slow to anger, a consideration of kindness. Well, my gosh, man, you've gotten soft. No, I'm not soft. I'm trying to model my Messiah. Because I'll tell you another story. A really, it's not a story. It's a scripture. You ready? And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Yeshua said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? What is he saying? I see your piddly little angry cut off his ear, ear zeal move. I get it. Stop. Put it away. Do you not think that I could call down and be answered in the most zealous show of power? But how in the world would God's will be done, he says at the end. I will function in humility, he says. You can too. Now. I do not want you to walk away and say that I would never stand or would never be zealous or would never take drastic action because at times in your life, you may be confronted with that. But make certain you know the cause and the objective of your zealous act. You get it? I, I hope I... I I hope I'm not like coming off as I'm lecturing you because, you know, the thing is, I'm speaking primarily to myself. Do you know how many near road rage accidents I have been in in the course of my life or how many fights I've been in or harsh words or terrible things that I've done out of misdirected zeal? This speaks to me. And so I'm passing it along to you in hopes that we can be representative of the disciples of Yeshua that we are called to be, who function in humility, compassion, and kindness. Nachmanides said this very well in a letter to his son. When your actions display genuine humility, when you stand meekly before man and fearfully before God, when you stand wary of sin, then the Spirit of God's presence will rest upon you, as will the splendor of his glory. You will live the life of the world to come. There is so much packed into that. What he's saying is, 
when you function like Messiah Yeshua, when you function like that, that still small voice resides within you and comes out, the God, presence of God. And he says, you will live the life of the world to come. He's saying you're going to go to the world to come. But what I'm saying to you is that's a representation of the kingdom now on earth. And that's part of our job. It really is. So as bad as it is, let's not be everything's ruined, people. And on the other side of the coin, let's not be javelin throwers through people's midsections. Let's not cut off ears. Let's not strike rocks twice. Let's try to walk the narrow path that we're called to walk as disciples of Yeshua. That was the example he set. So, last thing. Elijah did get the message. He got it eventually. And here's how we know. He got his own covenant of peace, if you will. You know, Pinchas got one and got the priesthood forever. Elijah got one. You know what it is? He's the announcer of the coming kingdom of peace. And as Malachi reminds us, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. What is the most effective way for a father to turn his children's heart back to him but a still, small voice? At times, stern, certainly, but overall, the love of a father is manifested in the still, small voice. So that's our calling. And that's our task. So in this angry world, let us be zealous in unity with our internal still small voice because blessed are the peacemakers who we be called who? The children of God. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Let's stand up.